0: Welcome to the Seeds Church podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe to us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and on our Apple and Spotify podcasts. We hope you enjoy this inspiring message from our Sunday service.
1: Today we conclude the State of Gratitude series. And it was interesting, Liz and I uh, went to Point Turton for a great holiday in January. And when we got to the top of the peninsula, what you see in the distance is the hummocks. And I remember from Jonathan's first sermon that he said the hummocks were the the end of the Adelaide Plains. So even after the sermon series, I'm beginning to see things differently. And now, of course, we've heard about the river, we've heard about the beach, and today I'm talking about the outback. These are all gifts of God in creation. They are to be treasured, and in them we can see something of the glory of God. I grew up in Port Augusta, we all had kayaks, and we spent our summers on the water, swimming, fishing, diving, diving off the wharf next to the ships, and doing other silly things. But the rest of the year, we picnicked, we camped, and we hiked in the Flinders Ranges. And the closest part of the Flinders is something like 15 minutes away, it was really easy to do they like my home country and I need to get back there regularly. In fact, my wife may share that I start to get a bit twitchy if I haven't been there for a while. <laughs> By the outback, I basically mean north of Port Augusta. So if you drew, d- were to draw a line, it's an awful lot of South Australia and there are a number of really significant Aboriginal nations there such as the Adnamutna people. And, of course, they understand home country and... A, different way to whatever I, I ever could. I love the wildness and the diversity of the outback, the shocking droughts and the flooding rains. And I have seen, and Port Augusta's seen, and, and more recently Broken Hill, terrible dust clouds that fill the sky, and no matter what you do to your doors and windows, you cannot keep it out. And on a few occasions when it's it's been raining and and, of course, then you normally head home, you, you really have to pause at the creek lines because there can be huge deluges somewhere else and it all just floods down the creek. And I can certainly remember two occasions where if we hadn't stopped, we probably would have been washed away when a wall of water came down those creeks. And after the droughts have broken, I've seen Sturt Desert Peas going to the horizon in every direction from where I'm standing. And one occasion... A flock of budgies flew overhead. That was so big it blocked out the sun. This year is a good budgie year as well. It's lovely to see it. And I've seen lightning storms where trees and rocks were split within a short distance of me. I've been out at nights that were so dark you couldn't see the hand in front of your face. It's awe-inspiring. You see layer upon layer upon layer of stars that you cannot see in the city. And suddenly you see how small you are. And that's such a gift. A land of contrasts, a land of danger. It's a land of beauty. It also helps me to understand the Bible because, of course, that's such a barren place, that land. So we hear of Jesus going into the desert and being tempted. And what he has is such clarity about the scriptures that he can resist every form of evil that comes to him. Psalm 1 talks of trees planted by streams that never wither. And our streams are often underground. And huge red gums rise where round about there's nothing but shale and saltbush. And we can see those streamlines from kilometres away. I understand Psalm 42 when it says as the deer pants for streams of water so my soul pants for you God my soul thirsts for God the living God Above all when I go to the outback I leave stuff behind I'm exposed before the living God and I'm forced to reevaluate my life it can be harsh and painful but it also brings freedom and life that's what I want to talk to you about today. Matt's going to bring us the reading.
0: Today's reading is from Genesis 28, starting from verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to the heaven, and the angels of, the God, of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will be spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on, on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you. And will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you, bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar And poured oil on top of it. He called the place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking, and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, so I will return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. This stone I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth.
1: Well, Jacob's Ladder is a pretty well known story, and I mean, I've heard people who have nothing to do with the church at all talk about a Jacob's Ladder. It's also a really significant passage for Jewish people. And if you're interested and you just want to see a different way of looking at the scriptures, I suggest you go online and see what some rabbis say about this story, because we can learn a lot from them. Let's revisit the context Isaac is very elderly. And he summons his oldest son, Esau. He wants Esau to hunt game, that he might have one more savoury meal. He then intends to bless Esau and then die. Esau heads off to hunt. Enter Rebekah, Esau and Jacob's mother. Jacob is her favourite. Parents? Mm-mm. never, never. Never. She asked Jacob to bring some young goats from the flock so that she can make a savory meal and deceive Isaac so Jacob gets his blessing. One of the problems is that Esau's hairy, Jacob's smooth, so Rebecca puts animal skins on his arms. She has Jacob go in and say, I have done as you asked. Here is your meal. Now Isaac's pretty surprised because it does take a while, a while to go out with a bow and arrow and kill something and then bring back and clean it and kill it. But anyway, Jacob says God has granted him success. Isaac is tricked and he blesses Jacob, including these words. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. Well, no sooner has Jacob left than Esau arrives. And it's now clear that Jacob has stolen not only his birthright, but his blessing. There is only one blessing. And Esau must now serve his younger brother. Totally countercultural. So Esau hates Jacob and decides to kill him. And Jacob must flee to Haran as fast as he can. The family is split, and it's hard to see how resolution can happen. Now, something really significant happens in the movement here. Jacob is going to Haran, reversing the journey of Abraham and Sarah. They leave their country to become a great nation. That's the promise. They respond in faith to the call of God and travel from Haran to where Jacob lives now. Jacob flees and heads back to Haran, reversing the journey because he's lied, because he's been deceitful, and he now fears through his life. One is a journey of faith, the other of fear and brokenness. It might be good for us to know the difference between those two. Jacob lies down to sleep, and far from having a great blessing, he's had to leave his home, he's had to leave his beloved mother, and rather than having a beautiful tent with a comfortable bed, he has a stone for a pillow. But away from everything, in the outback, things can happen. Now we live in a very different culture but nonetheless when we go out to the outback, camping at least, not five star, not in a cabin, not in a motel, in the bush, things can happen. We are laid bare without our normal supports. We take stuff with us, maybe not the lies and deceit of Jacob, but maybe expectations, stresses, the struggles of work, anxiety, lost dreams, broken promises, and in the space and the silence, we can see things more clearly if we are open to it. The New Zealand band Crowded House wrote a song called Better Be Home Soon, and one verse says this, stripping back the coats of lies and deception, back to nothingness like a week in the desert could have been written about Jacob. Maybe it was. On holidays I've been reading a book by uh, Pip Williams called The Dictionary of Lost Words. Esme and her companion Lizzie go away for a month. Away from their normal life and their supports, their work and stay in a place called Cobbler's Dingle. In the words of the main character Esme I read, tomorrow we'll be gone from Cobbler's Dingle. I was going to miss the waves of green hills. I would miss the silence. When I first came, I found it too quiet and my thoughts too loud. But the silence had turned out to not be complete. The valley hummed and sang and bleated. And when my thoughts had been heard and argued with and when a kind of peace had been struck, I began to listen to the valley like some would listen to music or to a holy chant. There was solace in its rhythm and it slowed the beat of my heart. Lizzie, her friend, commented that they stay in Shropshire in Cobbler's Dingle and she says, and this this is what the book says, God is in this place perhaps in brackets, and I did not know it. I feel in here more than I ever did in church. Out here, it's like we're stripped of all our clothes, of our calluses on our hands that tell our place, of our accents and our words, and God cares of none of it. All that matters is who you are in your heart. I have never loved God as much as I should but here I do. Esme my may Lizzie, why is this so? And Lizzie says, I reckon it's the first time that God has noticed me. Now, theologically, we struggle with that. Because, of course, God sees everybody and values everyone as much. But I wonder whether she's actually stumbled upon an incredible truth that when we open ourselves to God, the God who's always been there, we see God in a way we've never seen before. When we empty ourselves of our ego and the self-serving that encrusts us, we can see with clarity the wonder of God around us. So in the outback, Jacob's lay bed. He who had been a schemer, a usurper, A person who sought to be in control of his destiny now becomes a receiver of the gracious presence of God. In the outback, Jacob realises he's not actually the centre of the universe. In the outback, we also seek in various ways to be in control of our destiny. But if we let it go, it can be life-changing And we can be laid bare. Interestingly when Isaac challenged Jacob about how quickly he organized the meal, Jacob says, your God granted me success. At that moment it's not Jacob's God, it's his relatives God. But then he discovers God too. And what sort of God Does Jacob encounter? Well, we might imagine that Jacob is going to tackle Jacob, God's going to tackle Jacob and challenge him about all his bad behavior. And it seems eminently reasonable. And there I suggest that sometimes we think, God, why don't you sort that person out over there because I don't like what they're doing? Well, probably God doesn't because God's too busy working on us. Instead, in this story, there is an extraordinary blessing for this man, Jacob. Let me repeat. There above it, and I need to say in a number of translations, they say, there beside him stood the Lord. He said, I'm the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac, and I'll give you and your descendants the land in which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you'll be spread out to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I'm with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I'll bring you back to this land. I'll not leave you until I have done what I've promised to you. Instead of condemnation, there is a blessing. Jacob is included in the covenant of promise. It turns out that while Isaac only has one blessing, there is no limit to God's. They'll be like the dust. Upon the land. Turns out that the nature of the covenant has also expanded because earlier in Genesis it talks about those who bless Abraham and Sarah will be blessed, those who curse them will be cursed. But here, even the wrongdoers are included. And that's great news for us because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But through Jesus, we are included in the covenant of promise. The outback is a very threatening place and I dare you to go, to leave behind your comforts and your supports and sit before God with open hands. I point out that when Jacob woke up from his dream, he was afraid. And you know, we have a wonderful God, but we also have an awesome God. And if we don't experience some awe and wonder and even holy fear in our belly, we probably haven't encountered the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Now, of course, any place can be like this. For me, it's the outback. For you, it might be the beach or somewhere else, but it's about you honestly coming before God and opening your heart before God and allowing God to work with you. The outback slows me down, it opens my eyes and my heart and it heals and restores me. And like Jacob, if you know the rest of the story, you usually go home with some things you've got to put right. And he sure had some things he had to put right. Wendell Berry developed a formula for a good life. He said simply this, slow down, pay attention, do good work, love your neighbours, love your place, stay in your place, settle for less, enjoy it more, We might simply say, be grateful. Let me pray with you. Well, Jesus, we are before you with open hands. We want to encounter the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, your father. Challenge us, change us, heal us, restore us, we pray in your name. Amen.
0: Well, thanks for listening to the Seeds Church podcast. We hope you join in with us next week. For more information, you can visit our website at seedschurch.org.